What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome into another episode of Burke's Beat. Danny Burke, your host, here as always with you. And as always, you can follow along on Twitter slash X at Danny Burke 5. You can also catch more content on my website, burksbeat.com. If you subscribe, you get notified when all the articles and other content is being released. Like last night, we gave out our play, did a write-up for the college football championship game, dished out Michigan over three and a half total touchdowns at minus 150, and the fellas come through. We conclude our college football betting season with a record of 11-7, and seven, up plus 2.21 units. Yeah, not anything that's going to make you go crazy, but hey, it's better to end up in the green than the red, so we'll take it. And we'll have much to look forward to in next year's college football season with the expansion of the college football playoff, the expansion of the Big Ten Conference, and hopefully an expansion in the win category for my alma mater, Nebraska. As it is Matt Rule's second year, where traditionally he does better, and they got a five-star quarterback, Dylan Riola, to look forward to taking over this offense. What could go wrong, right? What could go wrong? But yes, we do conclude the college football season with Michigan coming out on top. They were the best team, whether or not you agree with the cheating scandal and whatnot. Uh, like you're saying, I mean, look, teams do it. It's ridiculous, but it is what it is. And they were the best team, whether or not they were stealing the signs. Washington wasn't going to overcome the power in the trenches, which, again, is something that I wrote about. And Michigan, while it may not be pretty, they got the job done. And that's college football in the Big Ten Conference in a nutshell. So with that, the college football season is over and we can completely shift our attention to the National Football League throughout the postseason. Wild card weekend is upon us. Not only do we have tons to discuss throughout the upcoming postseason games, but folks, we have a lot of turnaround for some of these teams. Coaches being terminated, new ones looking to go to other teams, the rumors, the odds, a lot of these things are being posted. I'll share my thoughts on a lot of that toward the end of the show. So make sure you listen in toward the end to see what I think about what happened with Mike Vrabel and the Titans. Ron Rivera getting canned. Arthur Smith getting canned. What the hell are the Bears doing? A lot of that. I'll give my two cents toward the end of the show. But let me go ahead and tell you what we got to look forward to in the meantime. And that's going to be a recap of NFL Week 18. Looking forward and previewing all of the upcoming playoff games and who we got coming up on the podcast this week who will also be sharing their thoughts on NFL Wildcard Weekend. So let's go ahead and start with a recap of NFL Week 18. We went 3-2 and two with our plays. We started out with a loss in that Ravens-Steelers game. Tyler Huntley could not produce the backdoor cover for us. The Ravens fall victim in that game and do not cover three in the hook. Afterwards, we had the Texans and the Colts. Fortunate that the drop pass did not allow the Colts' drive to continue and potentially get the job done. Fortunate, yes, but we will take it. Texans' money line minus 118 comes through, and hopefully that boasts our chances to also cashing in D'Amico Ryan's Coach of the Year. Furthermore, on the slate, we had the Bears plus three, disgusting performance, terrible defensive coverage, terrible offensive game plan. What the hell else is new via Luke Getze and screwing over Justin Fields? So the Packers once again embarrass the Bears. And as a Bears fan, it's the same old annoying 
disgruntling, aggravating cycle, whatever the heck you want to call it. It's all the negative connotations that you could attribute to being involved with this organization. Bears don't cover. Then we had the Raiders minus two and a half. Figured they would be having a lot of motivation to put out for their coach, Antonio Pierce. They did just that, and they covered two in the hook against the Broncos. And then finally, the Detroit Lions laying three. They come through big time against the Vikings. Vikings were still fighting for their postseason spot, but the Lions could technically get the two seed, even though we understood it realistically wasn't going to happen because the Cowboys would have had to lose to the Commanders, and, well, they dominated the Commanders. But still, Campbell wasn't going to bend the knee, and at the risk of losing Sam Laporta, they covered, they win, but you lose a big piece potentially. We'll get into that momentarily, but that was our other win, Detroit covering three. Again, we go three and two on the NFL Week 18 slate. NFL record overall 40-27-1. and one. We are up plus 10.58 units. So let's hope we can keep this thing rolling into the playoffs, my friends. So let's go ahead and dive in. Let's start on Saturday with the Browns and the Texans. Houston getting that division dub after the Jaguars lost. So if you recall, it was the winner of Houston and Indianapolis, the winner would get in. But then if Jacksonville proceeded to lose as well, then the winner of Houston and Indianapolis would claim the AFC South. And that's exactly what the Houston Texans did. So now they get a home field spot hosting the red-hot Cleveland Browns led by none other than Joe Flacco. Cleveland opened minus one and a half in this spot. Right now, you're pretty much seeing this consensus spread at about two and a half. So a little bit of movement has gravitated toward the Browns. In this total at 44 is where you saw it open. In terms of the total, nah, 44 and a half. Uh, 45 or two. So yeah, the over is getting a little bit of love. Remember, they're playing at Houston. You're going to be inside a dome. You don't really have to be affected by that weather like we'll see in some other spots and we'll tell you what's happening in those situations later on. Cleveland did beat Houston already this year, 36 to 32. Now this happened several weeks ago, but you have to also remember that CJ Stroud was not playing in that game. The Browns got a combination of Davis Mills and Case Keenum. Flacco was in that game, and yeah, again, the offense lit it up. They looked fantastic. The Browns, though, what's tricky here and does really switch my handicap, uh, not a lot, but enough to keep me off of this game for the time being, the Browns have really struggled on the road. They're 3-5 and five this year, and one of those losses, granted, was this past week when they didn't care against the Bengals, week 18. So, yeah, it is what it is in that regard. But still, this isn't as dominant of a team on the road as they are at home. Now, the Texans are the opposite. They thrive at home, right? They're 6-3 at home. And again, remember, one of those losses is when they didn't have C.J. Stroud against the Cleveland Browns. So, now they get a test to see if Stroud would make that big of a difference. And let's be honest, he will. Let's look at some of these numbers, folks. How about the defense? DVOA-wise, Cleveland comes in second. Houston is 15th overall. But Houston is really good against a rush, actually. They're second in DVOA run defense. However, 23rd against the pass. Cleveland, second against the pass, fourth against the run. Where will Houston be able to find some offensive success? Will they be able to find some offensive success? Well, again, this total's ticked up a little bit, so you're at least banking on Cleveland to score. You're going to need Houston to do it, too, if this over can cash. Offensive DVOA numbers. 
Cleveland is 28th overall, 27th in passing offense, and 23rd in rushing offense. Houston comes in at 14th overall, 10th in passing, 30th in rushing. Perhaps you look to go with some Devin Singletary rushing props to the under, especially if you think Cleveland's going to win because Houston will need to throw the ball. They're terrible at running it. And also Cleveland has a very stout run defense. We'll wait to see what some of those props are as we progress throughout the week, but something to keep in mind. If you want to look at some other numbers that I usually reference, EPA, success rate, Cleveland is number one. If we look at the scope of the whole year, Cleveland is number one in defensive EPA per play, success rate, dropback EPA, dropback success rate. They're 15th in rush EPA, 10th in rush success rate. So eh, you get a little bit of cushion, I guess, if you think Houston actually can run the ball, if you're considering the rush EPA and rush success rate more than DVOA run. But again, correlate it with how you think this game is going to go, because if Houston's trailing, they're going to abandon the run and put all the pressure on the rookie quarterback, who's the reason they're here, in C.J. Stroud. Houston, the whole year, 14th in EPA defensively, 9th in success rate, 20th in dropback EPA, 19th in dropback success rate, 6th in rush EPA, and 1st, believe it or not, 1st in rush success rate. All right, not too shabby out of Houston against the run. Or maybe you look at Cleveland fading their running backs. Again, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the week, something to keep in mind. Now, I have the numbers and how they've looked their last five games and for Cleveland not counting week 18, but I'll just give you the TLDR. I mean, yeah, Cleveland is not number one overall in the span of the last five weeks where they were trying, but they're still top five in pretty much every category that we just went over. And Houston, since week 14 to week 18, they're ninth in EPA defensively, second in success rate, so a little bit of improvement there. And still first in rush success rate. So Houston's defense, it's been it's been good. It's not been great and something that I think you solely rely a handicap on like you kind of do for Cleveland in a lot of instances. But what do you think Flacco can produce here on the road where the pressure is mounting with a inexperienced Houston team that doesn't know what their limitations should be? This game is very, very tough to handicap, folks. If we look at the quarterbacks against each other, Flacco in his starts, weeks 13 through 17, <laughs> he's got this team offensively 25th in EPA per play, 21st in success rate, 25th in dropback EPA, 21st in dropback success rate, 26th in rush EPA, and then 19th in rush success rate for Flacco and this Browns offense in each and every game he started. That's the culmination of it. Now, C.J. Stroud, he played weeks 1 through 14, sat out week 15 and 16, and then came in that final game of the season against the Indianapolis Colts. So when you look at how Stroud had this offense in the majority of weeks he played, so we'll, again, we'll look at weeks 1 through 14, EPA per play for this Houston team, they come in at 14th. Success rate for Houston in this span of time. They're actually, believe it or not, 26. And then in dropback EPA, they come in at 8th. Dropback success rate, they rank 15th. Rush EPA, Houston 25th. Rush success rate, Houston is 28th. So it's kind of, I don't even know. What it, it's just very intriguing to see all the highlights, watch C.J. Stroud, know what he's capable of, know what he has produced for this team. 
and you attribute that to having a phenomenal offense. Maybe not phenomenal, but a really strong offense. And the case being is that the numbers metrically, when you're looking at EPA, success rate, et cetera, they don't really equate to assuming that this can be sustainable. And maybe it can be sustainable based on a relatively easier schedule, having a last place schedule last year. But now when you're facing the league's best defense, in a territory being the playoffs that a majority of your team does not have the experience in, especially the most important position, quarterback, and your head coach in that specific role, it adds to this being a very difficult spot to wanting to trust Houston. So I completely understand why the betting market is heading toward the Cleveland Browns. And I don't think it's necessarily even recency bias of Joe Flacco. I mean, obviously, a reason you're investing in the Browns is because of how Flacco has turned this team. Yes, let's not let's not ignore that. But I don't think it's, hey, I am completely trusting Joe Flacco here. It's more, I don't know if I can put enough confidence into trusting C.J. Stroud in this young team in a team that hasn't been in this position. It's not that Cleveland has so often, but you're filled with more veterans who have had this opportunity. And again, then you have the <laughs> you have the enormous difference in defenses to where if both offenses are struggling, who's going to force that turnover? It's probably going to be Cleveland. And they're probably going to keep Houston in some uncomfortable situations unless somehow C.J. Stroud can still produce all of this magic and just make the impossible become possible for this team. And maybe nothing's impossible. I thought it was for Houston, but they proven me wrong time and time again. And finally, we backed them last week and they came through. I just, I don't know if I can do it again here. So it would be Cleveland or nothing for myself. The home field spot for Houston, while I don't think it's it's incredibly sizable, it's enough to keep me off of Cleveland as of now. But if I got a cheaper price on the money line for the Browns, like 130 or cheaper, I, I'd probably invest in them. Maybe I'd throw a little bit. I don't know if I'd go crazy, but if you want to get involved in this game, if you need to make a play for your brackets or whatever it may be, yeah, I, I think that Cleveland is the right side and will probably end up on top. But again, not giving out an official play yet. Perhaps we'll look for some props to lean toward Cleveland, but it's nothing official right now. Let's move on. Saturday night. This game draws a lot of interest, not only to myself, but I'm sure the majority of the population throughout the United States. You've got Miami heading to Kansas City for a Tyreek Hill revenge game. Man, Miami did not look great this past week. Tua faltered, and they faltered against a lot of competent teams, Dallas being the exception. In Kansas City, you could kind of classify as not being a competent team despite getting, what, 11 wins this year? Which is hilarious to think that a team getting 11 wins and we've only really talked negative about them. That's what Patrick Mahomes can do, and having a division that actually was pretty awful. But let's look at the line. Kansas City opened three and a half. Total opened at 45. Number has now moved up to a consensus four. So the Chiefs laying four across the board. Total is 44 across the board. 45 down to 44. Reason being, the weather forecast calls for a lot of wind 
Yes, you're getting that wintertime mayhem throughout the weather down in Kansas City. So that's why you're expecting this to maybe not be as high scoring of, of a game that you would in other situations. And folks, let's not forget, I mean, these two teams faced off in Frankfurt in the international game. 21-14 was the final. Kansas City won. Miami was down 21 to nothing. The Chiefs had a fumble recovery for a touchdown at one point in that game. Miami actually had more total yards, but not by much, 292 to 267. Look, Kansas City was kind of taking their foot off the pedal in the second half with a three-touchdown lead. Yards per play, Miami barely got the nod, five yards per play to Kansas City's 4.8. But the big story was the defense out of Kansas City, and that's what my handicap for this game revolves around, is Kansas City's defense. Now, Miami is expected to have Jalen Waddle back. Tyreek played last week. He's going to play this week. Is he 100%? Well, he's damn near close to it. If he's not. I mean, he looked like he was pretty much 100% out there. But we know that he had been walking around in a boot to kind of monitor that ankle and whatnot. But why are we focusing on this Kansas City defense? Well, here's why. Kansas City, throughout the entirety of the season, ended up 6th in EPA. 3rd in success rate. 3rd in dropback EPA. Second in dropback success rate, 30th, not good, in rush EPA, and then 15th in rush success rate. Now on the other side, Miami, 15th in defensive EPA per play, 14th in success rate, 11th in dropback EPA, 13th in dropback success rate, 15th in rush EPA, and 14th in rush success rate. Average across the board. And you can settle with average. If you have a prolific offense, which Miami can, but that's when they're healthy and that's when they are playing in their comfortable conditions. This will not be a comfortable setting for the Dolphins who are accustomed to warm weather. That's been the knock on Miami and especially Tua can't play in the cold come postseason time. And they haven't been able to play that great against top teams in general. So that's what concerns you here, folks. I mean, look, Miami, fourth in EPA offensively and fourth in success rate. They're top five in pretty much every other category, too. So we know how good this offense can be. I don't think they're 100% health-wise, and I don't think they're going to do well enough to be accustomed to this and against a good Kansas City defense. Kansas City, you know, we've given their offense a lot of crap, and rightfully so. But they still come in at 10th in EPA. 11th in success rate, 10th in dropback EPA, 7th in dropback success rate, not as good with the running game, 17th in rush EPA, 28th in rush success rate. So the offense, yes, again, it's aggravating, it's disappointing, it makes you scream, especially if you're a Chiefs backer or fan, but they're not that bad. And that's because you have Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. DVOA, Going back to the defense, just to show you other numbers. Kansas City, 7th overall, 5th against the pass, 27th against the run. Can Miami win this game by solely running it? They have the running backs to do it, but I don't think that's how you're going to win, per se. Kansas City, they've allowed just 4 yards per play over their last 3 games. You know what that number is for Miami? 6.8 yards per play over their last 3 games allowed to opponents. Miami 19th overall in DVOA defense, 22nd against the pass, 16th against the run. How about the red zone defenses? Miami is 28th 
in red zone defensive efficiency, meaning opponents are scoring a touchdown when entering the red zone 65% of the time. It's gotten a little better over the last three games, but still it's at 61.5%. Kansas City is 8th in red zone defense, 50% clip. But over the last three games, that number has dipped to 20%. Kansas City limiting opponents to 8.8 yards per completion. Second best in the National Football League. 7.9 over their last three games. Miami, they're allowing opponents 9.9 yards per completion. 13.3 over their last three games. This leads me to thinking that it's going to be, one, a lower scoring game in general, hence 45 down to 44. But then secondly, and more importantly, Miami to have a lower scoring game. So I got to thinking, all right, what's this team total for Miami? And, you know, you see it anywhere from 19 and a half to 21 and a half. And obviously at the 21 and a half, it's fairly juiced. And we'll get to that in a second. But I was looking at these games with the home and road splits and losses and wins and with Miami and their team total. So if their team total, we're going to say is at 20 and a half in losses, the Miami Dolphins have stayed under 20 and a half total points in five out of six of their losses. The only time they went over 20 points when they lost a game was when they scored 27 points against Tennessee. And that's a game that Miami should have won anyways. So otherwise, every single game the Dolphins have lost, they have failed to score more than 20 points. They are averaging 18.5 points per game in the matchups they lose. Now, then I thought, okay, well, let me look at Kansas City. How did their opponents fare offensively when the Chiefs won? Well, the Chiefs won 11 games, folks. And guess what? In those 11 games, every single opponent was held to less than 21 points. In games where the Chiefs won, their opponents averaged 14.6 points per game. And remember, they faced off internationally. The Dolphins lost. They only scored 14. Now again, I mentioned the full game, under 44. Yes, I thought about that long and hard. But if Kansas City's defense shows out tremendously and maybe they get a pick six or a fumble recovery somewhere close to the end zone, Kansas City could do well enough to almost screw this total. Like it could be like a 27 to 20 game or something like that to where the total could still go over because Kansas City did very well offensively. That wouldn't shock me. So that's why I've really narrowed it down to the team total going under for this Miami team. And remember the stats that I just pointed out too. I mean, the reason why I think Kansas City could do well offensively averaging, or sorry, allowing 13.3 yards per completion over the last three games, over 61% red zone success over the last three, and 6.8 yards per play. So the Chiefs could have a very successful game offensively. Now, team total. 20 and a half is out there at several books, but the least amount of juice you have to lay on the under 20 and a half is minus 128 at FanDuel. Or... What I did and what you can do if you have it available at Caesar Sportsbook, they have under 21 at minus 148. So I'm already laying juice. Yes, I'm laying 20 cents more, but at least I get it at a key number of 21 for this team total. You can do under 21 and a half. That's minus 160 at BetMGM. Look, if if you get 20 and a half, at an appropriate price, I think that's still a solid move. I think this team stays under 20. Rather, I think they stay under 20 in the hook. I think 20 
is probably the most that they would score in this game. But because it's already fairly juiced, in case they do get three touchdowns, I'll lay a little bit more to get it on the 21. So I feel comfortable doing that and backing this Chiefs defense and thinking that Miami is going to continue to struggle. I think Kansas City controls time of possession with their offense. I think Miami, like we saw last week, and against good opponents all year, when they lose especially, will struggle offensively in the weather conditions and the road hostile environment will not help. So go ahead and give me the Miami Dolphins under 21 team total points at the price of minus 148 available at Caesars Sportsbook. All right, brief look into Sunday. Steelers at Bills. Got nothing for this one. I would lean toward taking 10 with Pittsburgh. Buffalo's laying 10. That's pretty much where it opened. Total opened at about 40 and a half. Now you're seeing it down to 36. As low as 35 and a half. But yeah, I've got nothing here. I mean, look, I like the Bills a lot. I think they come out of the AFC. But are they good enough to lay 10 in an outside kind of probably bad weather game against a Pittsburgh team with, I don't want to say they have nothing to lose because it's a playoffs, but they know they're a, <laughs> they know they're a pretty big underdog. Tomlin's a great coach and double digits is a lot to lay in a playoff game, especially with a very volatile Bills team. It's not like I love Mason Rudolph, but he's obviously been the best option they've had all year. So if I had to take a side, I would take 10 with Pittsburgh, but it's not appealing enough to make it a bet. Let's look at Dallas and Green Bay. This game does intrigue me. Dallas minus 7.5 at the opener. Some spots open 7, I know. Uh, you're seeing it as high as 8, but 7.5 is the consensus number. Total open 49.5. Now this is up to 50 in the hook. I like Dallas a lot in this spot. But having, again, kind of like the 10, but having to lay over the key number of 7 in a playoff game, man, that is a... Tall order. And it is Dallas at home. And at home, they're 8-0 with an average winning margin of 21.5. Packers are 4-5 on the road with an average losing margin of 2.6. I know everybody's in love with Jordan Love and this Packers team, especially how they performed against the crap Bears. But I still have my reservations on Jordan Love. I really do. I think LaFleur's, I think LaFleur, excuse me, is a fantastic coach. I think the Bears had a terrible defensive game plan, but I think you still have to look at certain games in the past and understand what Jordan Love can be from time to time. Like that game against the Giants, game when they lost to the Broncos, the Raiders. There were games where everybody was ready to abandon him. And then he has some spots that go, oh, no, 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 he's going to be he's going to be replacing Rodgers for sure. He's our guy. No doubt. Like this guy makes it go back and forth and back and forth. And in his first career playoff game on the road against the best home team in the NFL. I'm not ready to back that. Look at what the Packers have done on the road. OK, week one, you beat a bad Chicago team, 38 to 20. Then you lost at Atlanta, who stinks, 25-24. to You lost at Las Vegas before they got good, actually, 17-13. to You lost at Denver, 19-17. to You lost at Pittsburgh, 23-19. to You won at Detroit, all right, 29-22, good win. That was the Thanksgiving game, I believe. Uh, you lost on the road against the Giants, 24-22. to You barely held on against the Panthers, 33-30. to And then you beat a crap Minnesota team, 
33-10 with Jaron Hall in for the first half. I have not been wowed. I have not been impressed in any road spot from the Packers except for that win at Detroit on Thanksgiving. Green Bay, 23rd in EPA per play defensively. 26 in success rate, 23rd in dropback EPA, 28th in dropback success rate, 22nd in rush EPA, 15th in rush success rate this entire year. Dallas, 4th in EPA, 22nd in success rate, a little bit of an odd discrepancy, but they're 5th in DB uh, dropback EPA, 10th in dropback success rate, 10th in rush EPA, and 32nd in rush success rate. Again, a kind of a weird discrepancy. But we know what this Dallas defense is, and it's a good defense. It's not a great one, but way more reliable than what Green Bay has to offer. If you want to look at DVOA, Dallas is fifth overall. Green Bay is 27th overall. Offensively, Dallas, second in EPA, third in success rate. Green Bay, fifth in EPA, eighth in success rate. Not bad, but not as good as your opponent. And again, factoring in the home and road splits. Look at the quarterback differential here. Dak is at 4% for completion percentage over expected. 1.1% for Jordan Love. Touchdown interception ratio, 36 to 9 for Dak, 32 to 11 for Love. Dak also has a better success rate, better passer rating, better EPA numbers, better win probability added. Jordan Love has a higher average depth of target, 8.5 to Dak, 7.8. But otherwise, it is all, it is all Dak Prescott. Yes, they've had the benefit of a pretty easy schedule. But even in some of the easy spots for Green Bay, this team has not been able to find success, and I don't think it happens here in the postseason. So I do like Dallas to win this game, but again, having them over the key number of seven is tricky. And it's not something I want to get involved with. What I would want to do and may do and am trying to do is either tease down Dallas or get them in some kind of parlay. Now, I've been considering doing like a Cowboys-Chiefs money line parlay. I think the best is like minus 110 on the odds. You can't really tease Buffalo down. They're at 10. And you can't tease Kansas City. You're not teasing them from four to, you know, two and a half and going through the key number. Or sorry, and just crossing a zero, which you never want to do. Houston's really the viable spot to do it with from two and a half to eight and a half, right? Philadelphia, Tampa Bay, I'm going back and forth in that game, but I could see Philly just dominating. So if you're trying to tease up Tampa, then they could easily lose that too. So it's not ideal with the limited slate, but I'm trying very hard to find an angle here with the Cowboys. Because even if you parlay, say, Bills, Cowboys, money line, I think like minus 186 was the price. I'm fairly confident I'm going to be involved with Dallas to some capacity. We'll have another episode this week. And I'll probably have a play with them by that point. But right now, it's a very strong lead toward Dallas. But just not laying over the key number of seven. So I'll have something later probably. I'm waiting to see if we could get a better price, if some numbers move, etc. So uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later in the week. But I do think Dallas for sure gets the job done against Green Bay. All right, let's move on to the Motor City. The Lions and the Rams. Laporta, as we mentioned, he's a big story coming into this game because he got banged up in what could be classified as a meaningless game. Dan Campbell said he has an outside shot to play. I don't know if I'm holding my breath here. So 
Let's look at this Lions team really quick. What impressive wins do the Lions have from this season? Week one at Kansas City when they won 21 to 20. Well, remember the Chiefs maybe not as good as we've been accustomed to in years past, and they didn't have Travis Kelsey in that game. Well, it kind of feels like they don't have Travis Kelsey in a lot of games at this point, but they also had all summer to prepare for that game, so you know I take that with a grain of salt. They should have lost to the Bears at home. They ended up losing to the Bears at Soldier Field. But you beat the crap out of the Vikings twice, and you didn't face Kirk Cousins in either of them. The Lions don't really have an impressive performance this year. The Rams, they beat the Seahawks twice, both home and away. They probably should have beat the Ravens, but lost 37-31 in overtime on the road. They got creamed by Dallas on the road, beat pretty bad by Green Bay on the road. They lost at Cincy, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, Philly. But they've been improving, and what this game comes down to ultimately is where the point spread is at. And you're seeing threes out there, and you're even seeing three in the hooks. Now, they're making you pay a little bit more for three in the hook. Minus 120 over at FanDuel is what I saw was the best price. And I took it. I took three in the hook with the Rams. By the way, totals at 51.5 at the opener. Since we've seen this move, really not anything. (laughs) 51.5 is pretty much the steady number across the board here in Illinois. Detroit minus three or minus three and a half is what we've been seeing with the spread. So why am I taking three in the hook with the Rams? Again, I kind of told you Detroit hasn't really impressed me. And defensively, they've been a liability. And that's why they haven't been as dominant as they should be. They're 21st in defensive EPA per play this season, 18th in success rate. 25th in both dropback EPA and dropback success rate. 4th in rush EPA, 8th in rush success rate. Now, the Rams aren't that much better defensively, but they're not as big of a liability on that side of the ball as Detroit is. The Rams, 20th in EPA, 11th in success rate, 18th in dropback EPA, 12th in dropback success rate, 13th in rush EPA, 12th in rush success rate. Offensively, Detroit does get the nod, but it's not a very big nod, right? It's just like, yeah, they got a slightly better offense, but the Rams can contend with most teams and keep up with most offenses. The Rams are 6th in EPA, Detroit's 8th, The Rams are 9th in offensive success rate. Detroit is 7th. Detroit's also 7th in dropback EPA and 5th in dropback success rate. The Rams 11th and 14th, respectively. Then the Rams are 8th in rush EPA, 6th in rush success rate. And then it reverses for Detroit. They're 6th in rush EPA, 8th in rush success rate. So I think we do give the slight nod to Detroit. Very, very slight. But again, the Rams have enough weapons to compete. And then, honestly, if we're just looking outside of those metrics to where, okay, we'll give a slight nod to the Lions, what if we're just looking at quarterbacks head-to-head? Stafford versus Goff. I kind of, without looking at the numbers, actually think Stafford is... I don't think that's surprising to say. I mean, that Stafford's the better quarterback. But the numbers don't really agree. But again, I think Goff has had the benefit of picking on some bad defenses. Stafford minus 2.5% completion percentage over expected. Goff's at 1.2. Stafford 24 to 11 touchdown interception ratio. Goff 30 to 12. Success rate, Goff has the advantage. Passer rating, Goff has the advantage. It's not by much, by the way. EPA, they're the same. Average depth of target, 7.8 for Stafford, 6.8 for Goff. Win probability added, Goff is at 3.9. Stafford's at 2.0. Remember, Goff also played in two more games than Stafford. 
revenge game for which quarterback? Stafford going back to Detroit or Goff against his former team? It's a bull-sided revenge game. Both of these teams have really good red zone offenses. Detroit is third, 64% clip. Los Angeles, they come in at fourth, 63.6%. The Rams have been hitting at 75% over the last three games. Detroit at 69%. Both of these teams are poor in terms of opponent yards per completion. Detroit 31st, allowing 11.3 yards per completion this year. That number has risen to 13.5 over the last three games. The Rams are 28th on the year, 10.7. That's gone up to 10.9 over the last three games. The over is very, very tempting. Again, 51 and a half. I could easily see this one getting to the over. But I think that if we're getting over the key number three, I think I have the better quarterback in Matt Stafford on my side, the better defense, and the better head coach. Remember, this team won a Super Bowl with Stafford, with Sean McVay, with Aaron Donald. You have Puka Nakua, who just set a rookie receiving record. You had the best offensive player in the league last year in Cooper Cup. Kyron Williams has emerged as a dominant running back. The Lions may have lost one of their best receivers in Laporta. Their defense is a liability. And you want me to lay over the key number of three with them? I can't do that in this spot. So I'm taking three in the hook with the Rams. At FanDuel at the price of minus 120. All right, and then briefly, because we'll cover this game later in the week more so. Uh, Monday Night Football, you got the Eagles and Bucks. Philly open two. Total open 44. We see it either at 44 or 43 and a half. And then in terms of the spread, you saw immediate love go toward the Eagles because it's three all across the board. Now, first thought without digging into it, I, I look at this and go three with Tampa. Yeah, I'll look to take three with the Bucks. The Eagles have been a disaster. But it almost sets up perfectly, kind of like the Chiefs, but the Chiefs are favored uh, by four. But in the sense that we've been ragging on these teams that were in the Super Bowl last year, and it just shows how hard it is to replicate success. But it would be a good bounce back time for these teams, or a good buy low spot, relatively speaking, despite them still being favorites. The Bucks rank a lot better in all of the defensive categories. The Eagles have been atrocious. The Eagles rank better in most offensive categories. The slight quarterback edge goes to Jalen Hurts. And I don't really think there's a big home field advantage in Tampa Bay, huh? Yes, if they went to Philly, Philly has one, but I'm saying Tampa Bay itself doesn't really warrant them points. So I agree with the movement toward the Eagles. But I will not play the Eagles if they're at three or higher. If it dips under three again, then I think that's where we have some enticing, enticing angles with the Eagles. It's just, they're a better team. The A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith aspect of it really is concerning. We'll have to wait on more of the injury status, but I I don't know, man. I mean, Baker, he's been fun to watch, but you, you could really see him faltering in this spot. It wouldn't shock anybody. And nor would it shock anybody if the Eagles kept playing like crap too. But that's why I haven't touched this game yet. Gonna wait to see where the line moves one way or the other. And again, get an update on these injuries. But that's what the playoff wildcard weekend slate is looking like, folks. Again, official plays as of now. Dolphins team total under 21 at minus 148. And the Rams plus 3.5 at minus 120 against the Detroit Lions. Desperately want to get involved with the Cowboys to some capacity. But I'm waiting to see if we get a better number elsewhere. 
to either get it in a teaser spot or a parlay spot. So that's what we're looking forward to. Probably going to add stuff as we get later in the week, as I keep saying. So again, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, the website, berksbeat.com. And I told you I'd tease who we have coming up later this week. So let me go ahead and tell you, we have none other than former Super Contest champion, former co-host of mine and an NFL podcast we used to do. It's Mr. Brady Cannon at Las Vegas Golfer. Dominant with his NFL analysis, dominant on the links. The man knows handicapping. Can't wait to get his thoughts on the upcoming NFL postseason slate. And later on, too, we'll also discuss some of these futures odds in terms of Super Bowl odds, conference odds, so on and so forth. So a lot more to discuss later in this week. Can't wait to do it with you, folks. Oh, and I forgot. Yes, I'm supposed to ramble on really quick about the termination of the coaches. Eh, you pretty much know my thoughts with the Bears situation, and I, you know, I'll save us some time here on that one. But I did actually want to, you know, give you my thoughts on the Vrabel situation. How idiotic is this Tennessee franchise to get rid of Mike Vrabel? Warren Sharp tweeted about this, and he put out some good numbers. Vrabel went 54 and 45 for the 12th best record in the NFL during his tenure with the Titans. He had three playoff trips in six years. The quarterbacks he was stuck with. Marcus Mariota, Ryan Tannehill, Blaine Gabbert, Malik Willis, Josh Dobbs, and Will Levis. Yet he still won Coach of the Year. He had a number one seed with a bye at one point, and his players were always fighting till the end for him. An indictment of that was that comeback against the Dolphins when they looked sure as dead, they came back and won. They won the last game of the year to keep Jacksonville out of the postseason. And yet the Bears couldn't score a touchdown, yet somehow they still have their coaching staff in place. Idiotic move by the Titans. Idiotic. This man is a good coach. He is a damn good coach. You set him up for failure every single season. Ryan Tannehill is the most painfully average quarterback in my lifetime. Derrick Henry... Wasted running back talent because he could have thrived elsewhere. I mean, he thrived there and it was awesome to see and the reason a large part of it why they had success. But you got to think and wonder, man, if they just had a competent quarterback, especially in the postseason who didn't throw four picks in their first playoff matchup, what could this team have been? Dumb move by the Titans. Some other team, perhaps the Patriots, people are thinking they're going to be really fortunate to scoop up Mike Vrabel. You messed up, Tennessee. You messed up big. This team has a long way to go now. Derrick Henry's gone. Tannehill and company are going to be gone. Do you keep Levis? You draft a quarterback. What the heck are you doing? You're not doing anything smart right now, it appears. So there's my little rant on the Tennessee and getting rid of Mike Vrabel situation. Sure, we'll have many more thoughts on coaches getting fired later on. Arthur Smith being bye-bye, right decision. Ron Rivera going bye-bye, should have happened months ago. Matt Eberflus, question mark, should be gone, probably won't be. We'll probably get rid of Getze, maybe bring on Frank Wright, draft a new quarterback, let them develop it. That's in a very short amount of time what I think the Bears are going to do. I don't think they're getting Harbaugh. I think if Harbaugh comes to the league, he's going to the Chargers. And then Belichick, I'd probably put him in Atlanta. So that's my little coaching carousel guessing right now. We'll have more of that as we get on later in the postseason, folks. But again, thank you for tuning in at Danny Burke 5 on Twitter. Burksbeat.com is the website. 
Best of luck with your plays in the meantime. Again, be on the lookout for the next episode with Brady Cannon. Probably going to be released on Thursday. Cannot wait to hear his thoughts for NFL Wildcard Weekend. All right. Until then, folks, take care. We'll be right back.